of course, you have like a deeper understanding of your problem, but you also need to be able like to see, is this only my problem or is it really scalable? Welcome to the Swisspreneur Show, a podcast about startup stories and hands-on learnings from experienced entrepreneurs. Here's your host, Sylvan. Jeremias, a very well welcome to the Swisspreneur Show. It's a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. You are the co-founder and managing director at Bexio. Um, I think you describe yourself as the next generation business software for SMEs in Switzerland. And you are already used by more than 30,000 companies, which is a very big milestone that you achieved there. And today we want to talk about the Bexio story. And we start off with your personal background. You studied at the University of St. Gallen. Uh, you did a business administration bachelor's degree. And I just wonder, in what way has this degree actually supported your entrepreneurial career? First of all, um, I think I really learned to do a lot of things in parallel. So, because um, I, I started uh, our first business, um, I think it was in the first year at university. And so, and, and I had other, other engagement as well. So I really learned how to manage, um, how to really be overwhelmed by things and, and survive. I think this was one key learning. Um, what I also liked were all the, 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 the work, um, with, with real cases. We did a lot of case studies. Uh, we, we learned a lot about present patients and and pitching and I think this this also helped and in general to have just a, 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 a deep understanding of business I think these were the most important parts to be honest um, I was investing more time into my company than um, into studies so uh, it took me almost five years uh, to make the bachelor and I also then decided not to continue for the master. Um, I was already signed in um, for, for the master, um, but then I, I canceled it to, to go all in um, on our business. Was that an easy decision for you? Was that like very clear? Or did you also have, you know, maybe with your family internal discussions that said, hey, you actually should get a master's degree? Um, no, no, it was an easy decision. Um, it just felt right um, going the entrepreneurial way. I think for my mother, it was important that I that I finished bachelor. So for me, um, the bachelor was okay, nice to have. I think for my mother, it was like okay, so my son has it at least a bachelor. So and, check and that, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Were there any thoughts of not finishing your bachelor's degree? Of course, of course. I think. Um, once a week. <laughs> no, but um, I, I also knew um, that it, it, it could be risky um, to go the entrepreneurial way. Um, so it, it just makes sense to have a, at least a bachelor degree. Um, and it was also fun. But um, w every time I had to decide, okay, do I call this client to make some business or do I learn for tomorrow's exam? I, 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 I choose the client. And then later in the evening, when I realized oh, it's, it's a little bit too late to start uh, studying for your next exam, it was like, oh, come on, do you really need it? And, um, and, and I started doubting. But, but for me, it was really also the experience to be able to do both in parallel um, was, was quite good. Yeah. You said that you like took a bit longer than, than usual, like almost five years. Uh, were, were they also like, you know, any courses that you wanted to repeat or that you just didn't take because of uh, that trade-off? Because to a certain degree, that is a real trade-off that you had to make between having a business uh, and also studying at the same time. Um, yes, yeah, so at the, at the University of St. Gallen, there's an assessment year. So there, like, the curriculum is fixed and you, you just have to pass the exams. Um, and I failed the first time. And um, then I just, did a, a smaller amount of credits. Um, and so I, I, I didn't have to repeat courses, but I was just studying in a little bit slower way than, than the us usual curriculum. But that was a flexible way of uh, adapting the workload, basically, which is a smart choice. Yes, exactly. Because, yeah, we, we already had... When I, when I finished my bachelor, we had, I 
think, 15 employees. So it was quite, it was a business. It was not right. just um, just me and, and some friends. Um, so it was quite serious. And then it was clear for me, okay, I have also responsibilities for, we as a team, we have a, a big responsibility. So we have to go all in um, with, with the business. And let's talk about that business. Um, I think it was uh, called Eyebrows, a leading web development firm that was then also eventually sold to PwC. Mm -hmm. Um, Can you talk a bit more about, you know, on paper, you know, it doesn't sound too exciting like an agency, but you did some very specific things there that also led to that exit, which is quite uncommon if you hear the term, uh, you know, agency that you sell that to PwC. So what did you exactly do? What was the business of Eyebrows? Um, we were, yeah, we were a, a web development firm and and really specialized um, in custom development. So we did quite um, funny and interesting project like um, configuration software for elevators, uh, or we were the first solution for a big car manufacturer to get rid of. Um, like the the paper catalogs in in their showrooms, so every time something really new had to be created, and we we were a, a good partner to to build the, the the tools for it. And I think it was this also timing was right. So it was the the we, we the, the 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 company was started by two friends of mine in two thousand and six. And so between 2006 and maybe 2015, almost all the companies were like, okay, how do I get online somewhere? Uh, how can I use this new technology, um, this web 2.0 um, to, 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 to make business or to facilitate certain processes or um, to, to engage with my clients in, a, in another way? Um, so all the cost and, and it all, also SMEs started to think that way, not only the big corporates. And we were just in the right time at the right spot. And um, we did good work. And I think this was like one part of eyebrows, um, like the project business. Mm-hmm. The other part was like being the incubator for, for Bexium. Because the, we were quite good in um, acquiring customers, in um, doing these projects, in building these this solutions, but our back office was a nightmare. So, uh, really, so it, it uh, especially in the beginning of the business, we often had the situation we were working all day long, but in the end of the month, we had not enough money to pay our salaries. And so this was like the the moment when we started to ask ourselves, so what's going wrong here? Right. And uh, we re- realized, so we sometimes we, we got to invoice um, a, a bill to a customer or we just um, were really bad at time tracking. We were just fascinated about building stuff, but not about managing the, the, all the finance stuff or sometimes... Yeah, we feel like a little bit embarrassed to send a reminder for an invoice because uh, it was like nine months overdue and we did not realize it. And this was like we, the, the, the reason um, why we said, okay, we need like a solution for that. And also our, our Troy Hander um, said, hey, guys, you need business software. Um, and we looked at the market. Mm-hmm. Everything there was very expensive, not user-friendly, and um, also not accessible um, on, on, on every device um, using a web browser. And um, we were building this kind of web applications at that time for all these customers. And so we, we just said, okay, let's build a solution for us and um, to solve our problem. So we built a very, very easy, very basic web application to manage our business. And this was actually like kind of the starting point for for Bexio. But you just built that for yourself internally. Right. Yeah, you, right. you had no intention at first. Yeah, of course, we then also realized that could be a because we were also looking at the market. Right. I think would you saw also like IPOs like Salesforce in the US. So software as a service became also 
um, from a business perspective, quite an interesting um, thing. And uh, I think probably every, every, every guy being in a, in a time and material business dreams of having a product, especially having a product, um, generating recurring revenue. So of course we also had in mind, um, it could also become a product, but it was really in, 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 on first hand for us to solve our own problems. And how do you then transition at the certain point in time you realized, hey, there's actually a market or a bigger need for that. So how do you transition from that internal tool to actually launching Bexio as a product that other people can also buy and use? I think the, the, the only transition in the beginning was we built a website. Mm-hmm. We um, created kind of a pricing and packaging. This was the transition. And then um, we just started how to, to learn how to bring this solution to the clients. Um, of course, first it was friends and family and, and, and other, other agencies and, and also clients of the agency who started using the, this product. And all the processes were like manual. So if we had a nice shiny website, you could sign up for a free trial but then um, an email was generated uh, in the back end. Um, I had to print it out. I went to a developer. He set up the database for the client. <laughs> he created the, the credentials for the login. Then um, I, I wrote to the free trialer, hey, hello, welcome. And here are your credentials for the login. So everything was manual. And then when he purchased it um, or signed up for, for a paid subscription, Exactly the same. And okay, then we had an Excel sheet where we entered this guy has bought this subscription. And um, yeah, imagine then doing a bill run uh, when you have 100 clients in this Excel sheet, a huge mess, um, and you try to um, send the correct invoice. So, but in, in, in the end, um, we were really focusing on the essentials and it was more about how to learn to sell and to grow uh, with this kind of solution. Um, because I think the product market fit was there um, as we really built it for, for ourselves. And, and, and we were like not an unusual kind of business. So we knew probably there are 100,000 other businesses they have exactly the same uh, the same problems. Is that a point where you would recommend other entrepreneurs to start that you really focus on your own problems and try to solve them and then try to look if there are other people that experience the same problems and building a company around that? Yes, it can help. Of course, you have like a deeper understanding of your problem, but you also need to be able like to see is this only my problem or is it really scalable? Um, Sometimes I see um, companies or startups, they are really, they try to fix the 100% and not the 80% and then they realize that their addressable market is not not big enough. Um, So I think in, in general, it helps if you have a really, really deep understanding of the problem you want to solve, but it hasn't to be your own problem. It's just easier or that, yeah, more accessible if you really feel the problem as your own problem. But yeah, you can also solve other problems. Right. Yeah. I mean, it's obvious that there are other companies that probably do have the same problem. But did you look at any specific numbers to get a grasp for how big the market actually is? I think in the beginning, not really. So because we were not dreaming of the size of, our customer base as, as it is today, um, we were just uh, so really in the beginning, it was like, okay, let's have just a, a product business beside of the, of the service business we, we, we already had. Um, but then when we, 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 we started to, to grow and we, we learned how to scale, um, of course, the ambition level also, um, and we, we said, okay, why um, not going for 10,000 clients um, or more? And um, when we didn't really, um, at one point we, we realized, okay, it's not possible to scale this um, software as a service business um, within the service agency or the 
the web agency. So we said, okay, we need to separate it um, because if we are not separating it, one part will always suffer. And um, I think it was 2012 when it was like the tipping point when we saw, okay, we are cracking this nut. So it's really the, 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 we went like from maybe three to five customers per month to 30 or 40 new customers per month. And we started to understand why and what is working and what not. And we really felt, okay, now we can scale. Um, we have like also data uh, showing us how um, to scale. And we started to, to look for investors to do the spin-off because uh, before we, we were investing like our own money. So what we, we made with, with project, we invested in, um, in, 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 in the software as a service unit in, in Bexio actually. And so this was always high risk because like the, the margin for errors was very, very small. And, um, if you screwed up a, if a, a project, you know, okay, now we do not have money for ads for, for, for our software as a service business. Uh, it was not called Bexio by then. It was called EasySys, um, a horrible name. But yeah, we, as, as I just said, we called it Easy System because it was only for us. Uh, it was a domain on a server, not more. But when we then started to scale, um, we, we realized the name uh, has to be changed. Anyway, but I think this was a very important decision to separate these two units um, and also then... Pro- also one reason why why we could also do an exit um, with eyebrows. Got it. And once you actually decided to, you know, to do a, a spin-off uh, with Bexio from, from eyebrows, what did you do with your founding team? Because you are five co-founders in total. Um, you still had like two companies that you needed to take care of, right? Yeah, I was like CEO of both companies for this transition phase. Mm-hmm. Um, but we internally we um, already had this split. Um, so we were four partners at Eyebrows and um, the Stefan and I were more focusing on the product business, EasySys or Bexio, and um, Jonas and Oli were more focusing on the, on the project business. So this separation was like clear. Um, but of course, when we did this, the spin-off, um, we just replicated the shareholder structure of the of eyebrows. This is why we had like more co-founders than than maybe usual. And also Marcel became a co-founder of of of, uh, of, of Bexio of the spin-off, um, as he has been the, the first developer um, within eyebrows, being hired hired exclusively for 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 the software, and. Um, this is why we were five co-founders in the end, but it was very clear. So I, I was running um, the Bexio part, Oli was running the project part or eyebrows, and um, we we stayed on board um, at eyebrows, but this was like one meeting every three months. Um, so we really could focus on, on, on the product business and the other guys could really focus on the, on the project business. So it had, a, it had a positive effect on both sides. Um, of course, the, um, eyebrows was doing very well as they could like invest their free crash flow in growth of the project business. So this, this went really well. And on the other hand, that so we were able to, to close, uh, fund, uh, funding round. Uh, for Bexio and also to accelerate growth there. So it was was um, was a good move. Yeah. Why did you decide to keep the same shareholder structure? Because, you know, you two were basically focusing on, on the Bexio business, right? You could have also said that you sell your shares at Eyebrows and you create a new company, basically. Yeah, I think um, so there are some also legal legal questions around that. Um, and in the end, yeah, it, there were also like secondary deals um, to set the right incentives. Okay, because yeah, that's an important part, right? You don't want to have any shareholders that have shares but are maybe not that operationally involved. 
fair point, yes. And how did then the exit with eyebrows to PwC happen? I mean, that is also a certain milestone in your entrepreneurial career. Um, Actually, I wasn't that close. Mm -hmm. Um, I was member of the board. And um, I remember we were also like discussing, okay, what's the next step Mm -hmm. for eyebrows? We were like, I think 50, 50 employees. Um, yeah, nice SME, good cash flow, uh, margin nice, uh, solid, but we were always asking, okay, how to get to the really big project. So we're, we're not, so we, we, we know, okay, next level is, is around 100. Uh, you need to be around 100 people to really go for the big stuff. And um, we're like discussing how to get there. Um, we also were talking about um, acquisitions, acquiring other other agencies. As we all we, we saw, it was like also kind of a consolidation going on in this market um, because in the early two thousand, there were like in a web agency in every village, yes. and um, so the the whole sector became more professional and size. Be- yeah, became more important. And so we were really discussing all these options and certainly the management came and said, hey, we have like uh, another opportunity. And um, then it was like, I, I, I really, I was I was just having board meetings where we discussed like the, the usual M&A stuff, um, but I wasn't that much into the, the details or all these strategic discussions. But basically that was like the first exit on that your CV, right? That was the first right? exit, yes. Was that also, did that have a, a positive influence on your personal finances too? Because I guess you were still uh, a shareholder of the company. Um, yes. In a significant way? Depend what significant means, but um, uh, it gave me to, the opportunity to also invest in Bexio um, when it was really needed. That's uh, absolutely helpful. <laughs> yes. So let's look back at the, the Bexio story. Um, I'm also wondering, you named the, the name change as uh, also a, a major milestone, basically, to, to shift from EasySys to Bexio. Uh, what led you to that conclusion that a name change is required and how do you actually execute it? So uh, it was 2015. Um, we had just closed our Series A. So we had quite some cash and we were really, and we know, okay, now we, we have to invest in marketing. And um, I just had the feeling this name isn't that efficient to scale as I was always when I was walking um, by our our customer care teams or sales guys, I heard them spelling the name at the, at the phone. You know, it's... Uh, E-R-S-Y-S. And, uh, and I said, okay, nobody can, you, you can't just write it when you hear it. And this was one problem. And um, yeah, and the uh, other sad fact uh, is that it, it was also the year when, when ISIS uh, became quite popular. Mm-hmm. And um, some people then started joking around. Yeah, it sounds a little bit like a, a terror group. And for me, then it was also clear. Now we we and we and then were also like technical technical issues. So um, it was very hard to get the .com domain and and so on. To say okay, now we have the opportunity to like really reset um, branding. Um, we are just starting like the next uh, the, the the next growth phase, and um, it was also quite cool because it was like we we were i think about 25 a team of 25 um, around that and we created this brand together with this team and um it also like yeah it was like like a second foundation if you if if you would say but i really felt it was good also for the whole team to connect mm-hmm. um, and to build a stronger team because easy season was like the thing of Marcel, Stefan and I. So yeah. because we were doing for years, we were trying to figure out, but then we had money, we hired 20 people and for them it was just new. 
they were they just checked in um, during the last few months and um, developing a brand together with, with the team and um, was also a good thing. How do you actually do that? Because developing a brand with a 25 people team, um, I imagine that's not the easiest thing to do in the world. Mm. Um, so it depends how you do it. So it was really, um, we created a brand room so, and all the ideas, drafts, logo um, drafts were in this room. So we really created like a universe um, for the next brand we want to create. Then we also hired a freelancer um, to like guide us through all this process because you need to make sure you can, you have access to the domains, you can protect your brand. Um, the brand is working in all in all languages, uh, this was also important for us. And you also make uh, need to make sure um, your brand isn't a nasty word in another language. Sure. And so technical, just uh, you need to tick the box on certain criterias. And for that, we had like a pro um, guiding us. And but in the end, um, everyone could just have ideas and then the, the the marketing team checked okay is it is it a valid idea or not and all the valid ideas were then um put into a big spreadsheet where everyone could vote so and we do, did then like a, a long list a short list for the short list we we created the logo drafts to really see okay how is the word looking um and then again, we did a, a second uh, and, and last uh, round of voting and Dexio was the winner. So that's a very democratic way of uh, finding a company name and logo. Ye yes. So we really did it as a team. Of course, we had some guidance. Um, sure. So we had maybe better better names, but then maybe you can't have the .com domain or it's, it's, not, uh, it's not protectable. Right. So the Bexia.com domain was still free and available? Or did no, you have... no, we, yeah, but okay. it was what we were able to purchase it at a quite reasonable price. Okay. Yeah, that's always important. Now, let's also look a bit at the obstacles along the way of uh, building a successful company in, in Switzerland. One of the first things that also is very, you know, appealing from somebody from the outside looking at Bexia is the way that you are integrated with banks, but also offer like salary payments. In short, like you integrate a lot of very complex materia in your platform. Can you talk a bit more about how you actually successfully pulled that off? Because that's like one of the core strengths that I see as a user myself uh, in, in Bexio. Uh, yes. So I think the, it, and it remains a challenge and it's also still a challenge, especially um, when we continue to grow. Um, not only our user base, but also our, our whole ecosystems, having more um, third parties using APIs, having more bank connections. Um, this is this, the complexity behind it and, and also scaling the whole platform mm -hmm. is definitely something we underestimated in the beginning. Yeah, to be honest, so because we say, you know, the technology is more or less the same as a homepage <laughs> and we just need to have more servers. And now we know and we have a very, very talented team taking care of, of everything. Um, it's more than that. And we always um, had like, yeah, certain certain points where we just hit a, a kind of a ceiling, um, like, I remember one story, I think two years ago, where we had, it was during our busy season, end of the year and beginning of the year, a lot of, of, of companies want to, to, to start with their new system. Right. So, and we had massive load. We had a lot of new customers coming in. We had thousands of companies um, going for free trials every month. And, and, and one day just the, the platform break down because of too much uh, traffic and we had to like fix the whole system while it was running so this was like one ev one event I, I really remember that's actually a very good sign you know then you're growing so fast that you cannot keep up to a certain degree so you have incredible growth but at the yeah, same that's time cool, of course but it's not it's not it's not cool for the clients you have because um no you are 
not making money with the free trialers, yeah. <laughs> but uh, you have thousands of customers already trusting you, and um, they just expect expect that a solution, a cloud solution, is up and running twenty four seven, and it's absolutely correct. But if it's not, then it's a, it's a problem. And, and um, you mentioned also payroll and banking. Um, we yeah we were quite we were probably the first ones um, offering seamless bank account reconciliation and, and and this kind of automated data exchange to to small businesses. And this is quite or was quite complex. So the, the building the first interface took quite a time. Um, we had UBS um, being very, very innovative and, 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 and being like the first one to trust us mm-hmm. and to do that together with us. But it was quite a learning process. And because also if something isn't working, where's the problem? So you also need to learn how to debug um, together um, because the, the worst thing for the client is if he calls the bank, the Banks told, told him, no, it's not our problem. And he calls us and we say, yeah, you should ask the bank. Then the client is just Thank you lost. for nothing. <laughs> exactly. So this is, I think this is also quite, uh, quite a challenge um, when you have all these connections. How do you make sure to just provide um, the, the support the customer needs? I mean, that's an, uh, an incredible amount of additional complexity that you add there with the third-party integrations. So what did you do to handle that? Did you over-invest in customer support to really be able to help them no matter where the problem is? Or how do you actually handle that and make sure that your clients are still happy and have everything they need? Um, so first of all, I think it's really crucial to, to, to define the processes together with the partner. Um, so to really make sure when and how is a handover done? How do we make sure to follow up on things? Um, then you, we, we also, um, started to build like specialists within the customer care team who could really focus on one specific, um, module. So we have, um, colleagues who are specialized in payroll or banking. He also work very closely. Um, together is the corresponding um, product owner from the product team and they try to solve the problems together. So um, especially banking problems can be complex because um, you need to check uh, the settings on the bank side and, and uh, you, you, you have the client in between who also can make mistakes and you have our system who can also make, so it's, it's quite, it's quite difficult. And, the, and um, there, I think the key is really good collaboration between the guys on our side. So this means not only the customer support um, guy, but also product owner, technical support. They really need to, be very client centric all together. This is always a challenge because the, um, if the, 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 the tech, technician says, no, it's not a technical problem on our side. So he should try then to help, um, to find maybe the problem, even if it's not on, 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 on his part. So I think this is quite important and we are still learning how this goes as our, our, our ecosystem is growing. Mm-hmm. But I think having clear rules with the partners um, and also a, a, a cross-functional approach um, within our organization is, is key. Yeah. And good monitoring to, 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 to see the problems um, before they, 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 they be seen by the customers. Yeah, that's ideal, but I guess not always possible. <laughs> yes, uh, you're right. So that's ideal. Um, we are... Not all, we are not there that we see every problem before uh, before it hits the customer. Yeah. But probably getting one step closer every day, right? This is how it goes, yeah. <laughs> you need to improve every day just a little bit, but after many days, um, you, you made a big step. Absolutely. Yeah. You know, despite adding more complexity with your growth, um, what's actually also uh, an important challenge is if you grow in company size. So more employees also add way more complexity to your organization. How did you deal with that? 
the key to that is communication and and and, and good leadership mm-hmm. and and of course hiring the the, the right the, the, the right people and and this is uh, all three things are very complex um, because for us it was or not complex but difficult because it was like also the first time we we scaled to this team size um, and so in the beginning you are like a team um, you don't need you are driven by purpose you are driven by culture um, you don't need any management frameworks you do not need stuff like uh, all hand meetings and uh, updates on 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 certain things because no you you eat pizza together for lunch you go drink you go for a drink after work um all together and everyone is always um updated because you are working like a family i think this mode worked until 25 uh, employee then we had to start um finding something um to to really align all activities um, and for me, I, I really believe that transparency is key. If every every employee really knows where are we going, why are we going there, um, how are we doing in business, he's enabled to take also decisions um, to bring us there. And um, so we started very early to have like... Uh, transparent team meetings where we shared all, all also all the figures um, we still have also today once a week we have an all hands it's 15 minutes um, but we share the most important updates um, with, with within the whole company and everyone can just log in um, and we we share we, we, we share highlights what's happening and so I think transparency and, and communication is, is very important while you grow. But then, of course, um, I also had to um, hire professional leaders <laughs> because um, I, I, uh, I was the youngest guy, um, or one of the younger guys in the company. Um, I always had like a clear vision where to go. I, I, I uh, could give purpose to, 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 to the things we were doing, but I wasn't like the super experienced manager. So, and, um, so I, I started hiring, um, then when we were, I would say about 50 people, we started like also to build the next generation of management. Um, in this phase also my co-founder decided that they do not want to be part of the management because they said no I'm like losing contact to the product and to the customers and I do not want just to be in meetings and and, and, and talking to people all day. I want to code or to right. to, to, to to yeah to, to do mock-ups of a new product but I do not want to attend board meetings or so and so um they I, I, we started like rebuilding the the next level of management team. I think this was also quite a, an important step when I look back um, to have really uh, to be surrounded by experienced leaders. So my management team, they I think they they are all between I would say an average ten fifteen years um, older and more experienced than me, mm-hmm. and um, this 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 helped a lot. Um, Yes. So, as maybe a third, a third, um, a third important thing was also giving a certain structure. We then implemented OKRs um, as as a as a tool when we, I think we were thirty, uh, thirty or forty employees. This also helped to align the activities and also to to give the transparency needed. So. I think that's an incredibly important point. So you just said basically that the, as your company grows, also the roles of the management and of the founders have to shift and adapt to the new situation, basically. Absolutely, yes. You hired senior people. What was their background? Did they build successful startups and scale them on their own? Or what was the background of these people? And were all of them external people or did they also find internal people to fill these roles? Um, I think we have both. So... Um, we have like 
colleagues uh, who started um, as, as, I don't know, a, a role in back office and are now leading large teams. Um, so this is, I, I'm, I'm really proud of these people when I, saw, when, I, when I see, okay, their career within Bexio is just amazing. Um, and you're there, but we also had to hire external um, people, especially for the senior management, so the, 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 the top management. Um, and we had like a mix of guys coming from the industry, so really large-scale software-as-a-service experience, mm-hmm. uh, and others more um, coming from successful startups. So, they, so I think the mix is 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 quite interesting, and um, it also adds a lot of value if you have both perspective. You have like um, <clears throat> like my, my my CEO was was a director marketing at Citrix Cloud Division. So this is quite large, and this is one of the the best software as a service companies out there. And he just knows what best practices and. And, the, and another example, um, our, our CFO they, it came from a successful other startup. So he really, he, he, he knew fundraising, he knew how to, to scale the organization. And I think to combine all these skills um, was crucial and, and helped a lot. And what was then your focus? Um, in, in what way has your role changed and what were like the tasks that you did after or during the scale up? What were you focusing on? I was really focusing on the driving the vision, so driving the strategy, being the the front runner, um, and yeah, of course, fundraising um, was like probably my most important um, task during the fundraising um, phase. Um, and I always was very close to marketing sales. So um, in our co uh, co-founder team. Um, Stefan was the product guy, Marcel the, the tech guy, and I the, the marketing and sales guy. And I was always close to that and um, helped building this 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 growth machine. Um, yeah, I think this was the, being like the the visionary, the cultural leader within Bexio, um, being also the yeah the the face, the face of the company. Absolutely. And, um, yeah, but also doing like ordering toilet paper when, 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 when the stock was empty. But, sure. um, I was more focusing on like the communication stuff and less on the, on the coding or tech stuff. Great. We also like to talk about opponents and supporters along the way of uh, Bexio. So I can imagine that, you know, when you, establish a new product, uh, a solution that you originally built for yourself because there was just no good solution out there for you, that people, especially companies of the old way of doing things, the old companies of the ERP systems and so on, that they probably laugh at you and say, yeah, this will never work. I think that also happened with Bexio, right? Yes. Uh, I won't tell names, but um, the, the, like the, the old... the, the well-established incumbents um, in our market. Um, and I admire them because some of them really built great companies, but they were like really laughing at us. And we, we, we all, we tried to partner up because we say, yeah, maybe we could do something together. And this, you know, this, this web thing could work. And um, now they are launching competitor products and this, is like for us like the proof that we are doing right and and they might be um, competitors but i think the biggest opponent in the market is the status quo we are really serving a completely underserved market um or or really served by tools like excel so i think we are not if in 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 more than more than half of our new customers, we are not replacing another solution. We are the first professional solution. We are replacing paper, Excel sheets, Word templates. This is still this is still like the usual case. 
Um, and so, yeah, I, I do not... Uh, I, I, have, I have, of course, respect for all the competition. Mm -hmm. And um, I also always learn from competition. But I think for all the players now um, battling in this market, I think the, the, the big the big challenge is the status quo. Is it easier to sell a product where there's no solution yet? And, or is it easier to actually sell a product where you are uh, taking over an existing solution? I mean, of course, you only know the answer to the first one, but from your perspective, is it easier to sell if you replace like Excel or no software at all? Or do you think it would probably be easier if there's already a solution in place and you can clearly show how you are differentiating and being better than the existing solution? I don't know. Um, both. Um, we, because we are also doing both. So we, we have, but you, you have just to do, it's not the same. You have to be aware. Um, so when we started um, Pixio, mm -hmm. um, I, I really remember we were like, okay, how do we call this thing? Right. So our first... Um, Our first internet domain was like internet-based business software.ch because it was like internet-based business software. Right. Yeah, but no one was looking for uh, for this kind of solution. Um, and we were really then uh, trying to, to find, okay, what are what is our market actually looking for? Mm -hmm. Because we are like a new product category um, and... Um, We tried a lot, but in the end, we, we came up with, okay, they are, they are Googling stuff like invoice template, Excel template for invoice. Um, so we need to, to route that traffic to us and um, show them, guys, there's an alternative. It's much better. It's easier. It's, it's, it's secure. So use this. And um, so we really uh, started to, to work with this market not knowing that something like this exists. And now, it's, of course, it changed. Um, the market in general knows that this kind of tools exist and they are actively looking for it. Um, but then, like the process is another one because then they have exactly in mind what they look, what they are looking for and they are like, this, it's just a no other approach than in your sales and communications um, than if you are like a new, selling like a new, product category but i think i can't tell you what is easier it's just other mechanics it's a different approach basically exactly, yes. yeah mm -hmm. you know when thinking back along all the journey that you went through with bexio uh with the resistance in the beginning and uh the the old school people basically laughing at you but also probably the stress that you went through of scaling a company to the size that you have it right now including the exit um was there any time a moment where you said That's it. I'm done. I want to quit. I can't remember. No, because many people have that. Why do you think that this was never the case for you? I'm I'm this type of guy. I always I I I say this many times also to 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 my colleagues. If you have a plan B, you will screw up with plan A, and um, I just I, I just had this thing, um, and it's still my number one priority. Um, of course, I had no family. I, now it's, co of course, my, my family is always first and, um, I, I learned to enjoy other things in life. But during these high growth, um, times, it was just clear. This is the only thing you do. Uh, and, um, of course, we had like hard pushbacks and, big failures and but we never really thought of giving up so but we were near death um, of course <laughs> we had near death experiences like all the startups but it was never about giving up no i think there's a, a near death experience that you mentioned to me the prep call was uh, before christmas when uh, the salaries were due And uh, cash got tight. Can you talk a bit about how you handled this near-death situation? Um, yeah, we were like um, trying to raise uh, 
around and we were yeah we had term sheets and everything and the thing blew up and um why i i in, in i think that the, the process was a little bit uh yeah maybe so what i learned is that the process took too long so we we we, we lost momentum and momentum is everything in fundraising um and we had like in the beginning we had like two two parties who wanted to invest and we had this momentum it was going really well and we maybe just tried too long to optimize the deal and um then it blew up um in i think november december and we were like busy busy um to bridge it so because we were we, we know okay um we will be at zero beginning of december and this was quite hard. And um, I mentioned earlier that uh, the, 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 the eyebrows exit gave me the opportunity to invest um, into Bexio exactly at the right time. And this was the right time. We found that all the founders, um, we were like investing. Um, for, me, uh, for me, it was probably more or less all the money I had um, at that time. That's also a very bold move to take, right? If you invest all your cash, yes, I, yes, I know it was maybe it was a bit stupid, um, but that was I. I was young and I I I knew okay this is like the opportunity, right. uh, and I really believe it was just a fundraising issue. It was not an issue of our business. Our business was doing well. Yeah, important point. Um, so for me, it was no question, and at the same time, I really felt responsible for the team. Um, so. For me, it would that, telling the team guys, yeah, we screwed up fundraising, but actually the business is doing not so bad. But there's no salary. Um, we need to cut jobs, and it's Christmas, yeah, uh, Merry Happy Christmas. New Year. <laughs> no, no, yeah. never. Um, and so I was also, yeah, feeling really responsible for 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 all the guys on board, and never doubt of course now it's it was a good investment mm -hmm. <laughs> looking it's back true. but yeah. then also i it was really okay you go all in you decided to go all in uh, on this business then you also need to be consequent absolutely one thing that also uh stuck with me is you did you said that you did many things in parallel during university you know with studying with uh, eyebrows and just you managed to do multiple things at the same time at the same time you also say that it's important to have Plan A, that's your only plan, your clear focus. So where do you focus and where do you actually manage multiple things at the same time? You know, because that seems a bit contradictory from the outside perspective. But I guess it's yeah, not it makes the same sense. level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 so I'm focusing on, 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 on running this company. And, but to do that successfully, you need to be able to do a lot of, especially in my role, um, I need to be able to, and do a lot of things in parallel to switch like mindset or, or topics very, very quickly. And, um, I think this, this is what I meant. It's not about, I don't, I'm not sure if I would be like one of these parallel entrepreneurs running a, a half a dozen of business. Right. I'm not sure if, if I'm this kind of guy, but I'm, I'm able to have like, uh, to talk about HR and then, Five minutes later to have like a discussion about sales or, 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 or another issue. Um, because I, I'm interested in all these kind of topics. I think this and, and, um, I also need to set priorities, um, within all this stuff happening. I think this is what I, I, I learned during my studies to have like too much on your, on your plate, but to be able to do the right stuff to at the end, survive your studies, get your bachelor, having a business and, uh, and being happy. So I think this is, this is an important thing. Yeah. Got it. Let's also quickly talk about the supporters. You already mentioned that investors played an important role. Um, can you maybe talk a bit more about how they supported you and also Bexio beyond just the financial investment? Yes, um, especially the, the early, early stage investors we had. And the, the, our first business angels, they were very helpful. So they were also mentoring me, helping me, um, yeah, be very 
supportive, of course, they are investors. They want to make money and sure. they, they push you. Um, but I learned so much from them. So um, I'm, I'm very grateful. Um, but I also had other like later stage investors. I think I really felt uh, the support when we were like in really hard times, like when we had big troubles and, and then sometimes a text message from, from, uh, from, uh, from an investor telling you, you know, I believe in you, you, got, you, you will do it, um, can, can make a difference. And, um, or other, or also investors saying, okay, if, if I will provide the final backup, um, I do not want to do that, but, um, we, 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 we will, we will, we will survive this as a team. Um, I think this gives you also kind of a security to really, to really push it. And, um, so I, I'm, yeah, I'm, it was just uh, great to work with this kind of investors. Um, all the investors um, we had were really supporting us. And um, I think talking about supporters, we, of course, there are others, um, like important partners. My team, I think that's the most and our most important. Uh, and my, my, also my family, they also had to like invest a lot. How did you manage that? Because I guess you you were or still are working a lot uh, on and at Bexio. And how do you actually balance that? You know, your entrepreneurial life, but also your family life. I'm not sure if I'm that good at balancing everything. But um, yeah, so in the beginning, it was for me. On, so my, my, our son is four years old. So um I think this was like a life-changing event when I became father. Um, but before, business was my top priority. And also my, my, my wife, she knows I have this kind of guy. Um, he will always work a lot. And um, he's not happy if he can't just follow, follow his, his vision. Um, so I, I always had big support from, from my wife. Um, and, um, I couldn't, I wouldn't be he here without my, my family. And, um, then now I'm a little bit older. I have a larger team. I think this, I, I can go on holiday and, and operations are working perfectly without me. Um, so now I, I can also spend more time with my family and I, I really like it. But to be honest, um, a few years ago, I wasn't really good at what what people call work life balance. Yeah, I guess it's also a process on on getting there. The yes, continuous <laughs> learning curve. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Now let's also talk about the success of Pexio. Uh, you sold it to Mobiliar. Um, depending on the source that you uh, you know choose. Uh, it's reportedly for uh, being sold for 115 million Swiss francs. How much was the actual selling price? I won't comment on rumors. Um, I already <laughs> told you. Is there any range that you can give us where you say, was it above or below 100 million exit? No. Also, okay. I have to ask because that's what our listeners want to know. But of course, you understand that you uh, cannot say certain numbers, but... Maybe talk a bit more about the exit itself. Um, why did you decide to sell it and not just continue with the ongoing growth, the recurrent revenue that you built, the great team? Why did you sell the company? So for me as a founder, like the two main question, uh, questions I was asking to myself were, okay, what does this mean for my customers and what does this mean for my team? Mm -hmm. um, and... Of course, then from an in investors and shareholders, they had also to answer the question: Is it is it is it uh, an offer worth taking? So, I think these were like the three elements. And for me, um, I really felt that we could, together with Mobiliar, um, bring more value to our customers. Um, we were um, back then also like discussing how could we as a 
purely digital company, have a larger footprint offline. Um, we were talking about having kind of flagship stores. Um, we started to do events. Um, I, I don't know if you know the, our community day. It's quite big, almost 1,000 entrepreneurs there, and it's, it's, it's really cool. And uh, we, we, we just saw, okay, we are able to have like offline tractions. And of course, everyone knows also Amazon is building um, on-site shops and um, we wanted to try this, uh, to try the same. We started to, to offer workshops and coachings on-site. And so we really felt that this, this, uh, the combination of the trends of Mobiliar and, and us can, can bring and create a lot of customer value because Mobiliar is very, very strong, um, in, in field, field sales. They have a lot of locations everywhere and, um, we can benefit from that. On the other, uh, on the other side, we are very, very good. We are very good in providing, um, customer value online and selling online, doing marketing online. Um, and, and, and the combination of both um, just makes sense. So this was like the, the first thing. And, not the, and, and for the second question about the team, it was really, okay, we, we have like a, a, a cultural fit. And also um, in, in the end, the decision by Mobiliar not to integrate us but to, um, to lead us as an independent um, company. And so that we can really keep our culture, keep the spirit, um, but also benefit from being part of a large organization, a powerful organization. So this may, this, these two questions I could answer is yes, it makes sense. And the, the third questions, the third question I wasn't answering on my own because I wasn't the only shareholder. So all the all the shareholder, yeah, they accepted then in the end um, to do this step. Were there also other offers that you received? Maybe not at the same time, but also before, during the journey of building Bexio. Yes, there were this kind of events. Um, uh, what led you to not accept them? I don't know. I think the... It was just like the, in the very early days, probably they weren't so serious and we were like just starting. And we, we also, we, we did, were not in the position where we also had like professional investors on board. So during the phase of, so the, the scale up phase, um, with professional investors on board, I can't recall if we really had, um, offers to, serious offers, really serious offers. Because we weren't, really looking to sell the company. Yeah. Um, also not to Mobiliar. I mean, that was more of a, a thing that just happened. You were not looking to sell the company. Right, right. Yeah. So to finish and wrap up this episode, uh, we would also like to know if there are any additional resources or gadgets that you can recommend to our listeners. That can be books, blogs, podcasts, but also like tools and gadgets that you use yourself on a regular basis in your daily life. What comes to mind? Um, of course, I, I use my iPhone quite a lot. Um, it's a good gadget, but it also can be a burden. And I love the earpods, the, the ones with noise cancelling. And um, I think Spotify is kind of the killer app. Um, I, I really like music. Then other powerful, to, uh, powerful tools um, or gadgets. I love my bike, but I in the last six to twelve months, um, I learned a lot about meditation and about mindfulness as a really a powerful tool um, to be more focused on the right stuff but also to stay calm in very stressful situations. And, and I think it, it's a good tool for business leaders and, and entrepreneurs. Yes, this is what comes to my mind. Great. These are great recommendations and also a great way to end this episode. Thank you so much for your time and uh, for taking us on the journey of Bexio. And we wish you all the best and lots of success with the execution of your strategy. Thanks, Silvan. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. 
Stay connected with the Swisspreneur community through our LinkedIn and Instagram profiles. Make sure to subscribe to our show on whatever podcast platform you're using. See you next week for a brand new episode of The Swisspreneur Show.